Hello. I can. Good. Hi. So good, to see, good to see both of you. And at the same time, um, Roz commented that the amount of anti-Semitism on Clubhouse has really grown. So there's a real, yeah, there it goes. It says Karma House putting um, empathy and compassion to work. I actually like to put that in. All right, now, now you'll you see, see everybody. everybody yeah. Because I've just made the room public. I'm learning as I go. And I might remind you all that I'm 81. That's not an excuse. <laughs> nearly, <laughs> nearly 82. And so maybe I don't learn as fast as I should or could or used to. But the fact remains, I can still learn. And this is one of the reasons why I keep adopting all these new technologies, because all of this makes me believe that I can still learn, you know, where we can really discuss issues. And there's so many pressing issues, really pressing issues. And, you know, and... and (laughs) Some of them we won't take on because, of course, I have no idea whether we're going into a recession or not. That's just not my area of expertise. But some of them I will, like what's happening in our society. So I'm, I, I'm looking at it, and I still have my, my beloved Heyman and Barbara with me, um, to help me have these discussions. And I hope they're going to end up being interesting. And Maybe. for those who are actually have migrated, we also have multi-platform, right? So we are on call-in. And, oh, by the way, um, Francine, what do you feel yeah, about that video? Just makes it, that just makes it – well, it's a great time to start video because I'm doing this room from my bed in the winter <laughs> half. Oh, okay. And, that's and fine. I, that's that's I relatable. about as – I look about as funny as it's possible to look. But that's relatable. Know? I bet you most people yes. are less dressed or maybe more. It depends yeah, on your well, climate I, area. Yeah. No, right. And actually, sure, I would love to do video. Turn it right on, honey. Well, I'll set you up. I'll set you, you up if, because Colin actually went live with video, right? So beta. Oh. Oh, cool. Well, then, so everyone on calling will be able to see me. And the computer, but um, it's basically we need to figure out how that works. Yeah, because I I have this great pink hat that I bought with Andrea in New York over uh, over the Christmas break. And I would like to wear it just for a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. because it looks good. It looks like it, it. I sort of look like a pink peasant. Anyway, about empathy and compassion, this is what, and this is where I want to get, really get into a discussion. It's enough about me. I'm just trying to figure out how all this works so I can move us all forward because we had a pretty good thing going. Ah, here is Andrea. Um, and here we are. Andrea is a, a house member. And so she's in, see what, what the order of things is, the speakers are on the top. Below the speakers are the house members. 
below the House members are people that the speakers follow, and then there's others in the room. So there's, I don't know how I feel about that, but there's a real uh, ranked uh, ranked hierarchy. But it's, Well, let's say it's just a app, it's app design, right? There's no yeah, hierarchy. Exactly. The smart ones are just listening quietly in the background. Right. Like the rare, but, you know, the last rows in uh, lecture halls, right? You know, you know lecture in the back. halls. That's right. But anyway, I think this is cool. I I think that we have a lot more choice in who comes into our rooms. Um, I don't have to make every room public, but, I, you know, I probably will, at least for a while. And and that way we should have fewer trolls, fewer anti-Semites, fewer um, um, race baiters, and fewer all of that. Um, and I want to do... Um, I want to do a room on democracy here coming up, but I have to talk to Andrea about that because that's uh, Andrea's uh, provenance. Her her uh, club actually does all the democracy things. But let's talk about empathy and compassion. I'm going to kick it off with a story. And... Um, Barbara, you will like this story because it has a uh, a men think differently from women or women think differently from men facet to it, and and it's it's like um, I have a friend who had who is my age and is divorced and is a male. Moved and by the way, I have lots of men, divorced and never married men, um, around my age, and they just kind of all live alone by themselves. Well, this guy had a back surgery about a week and a half ago, and he was in the hospital. It was a fairly complicated back surgery, and in the, it's the kind of surgery where the surgeon says. It's a beautiful surgery, and the patient still, you know, combating pain and not being able to do ordinary activities of ordinary living is saying, "Uh-oh, you know, am I, am I, <laughs> am I really made any better by this surgery?" So he's been in. He has now been in the in the the step-down hospital or the rehab hospital or the wherever they teach you, you know, how to walk again after you've had a back surgery. Remember, this guy is even older than I am, if that's possible. And he's laying in bed and he, he finally calls me um, and says, oh, by the way, I've just had back surgery. Okay, just this, uh, I haven't talked to him in, you know, maybe years. But at one time we were very close. So I said, oh, my God, Steve, how did it work out? And he was like, well, I can't walk on my right leg. Well, so I said to him, well, when you went in there, what, you know, what was the problem? Well, I had pain in my left leg. 
so I was like, well, I started asking him a bunch of medical questions. And after I asked him, you know, my sort of problem solving, did anything really go wrong? Should this really be happening in a surgery? All, all the various questions that you ask somebody. And then um, I said, I said to him, does your son know that you're in the hospital? And he said to me, no, he, he doesn't. Um, we are not in touch. And I'm like, okay, not in touch. He lives in the same town you do. You are 82. You have gone into the hospital. I said, why are you not in touch? And he said to me, he had no real idea. Basically what he said was, well, that was his decision and I've allowed him to uh, keep on with his decision. I haven't tried to interfere with it. So I'm. this is how my mind works. Oh my God, the son has gotta be about 50. The dad is 82. The, is this a time to be not in touch with your relatives when you're in the hospital for a surgery. And I was like, well, if, why don't you call him, Steve, and, you know, tell him that you're in the hospital and ask him, you know, ask him to come see you. No, I'll just leave it be. Um, we haven't spoken in years, yada, yada, yada. Well, my life doesn't work that way because I, I thought to myself, how does this person, how this guy really feel he's alone in a hospital bed he hopes the surgery works but he doesn't know that it did yet it's probably a little too early to tell and you know he has nothing but a stretched medical team to to help him you know and who knows whether the medical team is any good whether the medical team has too many patients you know, I've, I've heard so much from my doctor friends on the app. So, so I, I still didn't really say anything. But this morning I was talking to him and he said, oh, the place where my dog is boarded has lost power. And I can't talk to them. They don't pick up the phone. And I don't know if they're feeding the dogs and watering the dogs. And I don't know what to do about the dog. And I said, well, why don't you call Adam, meaning his son? And he said, no, you know, I, I can't do that, but I might call my ex-wife and ask my ex-wife to tell him, you know, to ask him to call me. And so I thought to myself, hmm, there's really something wrong here. So I said, Steve, I'll call him. And I had known, I had known him from years ago when he lived in Phoenix. Actually, David, I was going to call you because this is all happening in Austin, Texas. So he said, Steve said to me, Oh, don't call him. Um, I don't know if he even wants to talk to me. And, and my response, which is the empathy and compassion, 
I have an overloaded empathy and compassion circuit. And I was like, he's gonna wanna know. You're in the hospital and you're his father. Okay, so what I did was I called his son and I said, I said to his son, um, Adam, your father's in the hospital. He's had a surgery. Um, he's recovering from the surgery. I can tell you more about it, but what he's really concerned now is that he's got his dog boarded at a place that had a power outage last night. And he doesn't know, he can't get them to answer the phone and he doesn't know how the dog is. And, and Adam, the son said, Oh my, oh my God, I'm so worried about him and started asking, you know, a ton of questions. And finally said to me, of course I'll get the dog. Of course I'll, you know. And I thought to myself and tying this back to empathy and compassion, um, we really don't know where each other's empathy and compassion switches are. And so we often don't reach out when we need to reach out or extend when we need to extend. And one of the things that I was determined to do, even from another city, was reach out because I knew what Steve must be feeling, and or I thought I knew because I know what I would be feeling if I were alone in a hospital bed. And so I wanted to, you know, and I can't believe that my daughters wouldn't call me or, you know, make up with me or whatever happened in the past, you know, if I were in the hospital having had a complicated surgery. Anyway, enough, I guess I'll land my plane, but it just amazes me that that these guys, father and son, could have so little understanding of one another that the father was afraid to call the son and tell him he was in the hospital. And the son, in the meantime, was totally worried about his father but, you know, wouldn't reach out to him either. And so I feel like I did a small amount for empathy and compassion, putting it to work this morning, because I got them back together. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. Francine. It's uh, it's so interesting when you look at the, you know, the gender research and you see uh, men isolating even from family members. You know, it's a very common phenomena. And women tend to reach out and tend to befriend and, you know, reach out to their community for support and help and so on. Uh, and the reason being is to increase their oxytocin. So when something goes wrong, but I have friends like this. I have friends that haven't spoken to their son, in, men who, you know, in their 60s, late 60s, that haven't spoken to their son in, in decades. It's, it's, it, it blows my mind, you know. Something happened between them, and they made assumptions, just like you're saying, and then act on those assumptions without really engaging. And, and you know, you see, you see women reach out to one another all the time, you know, when something goes wrong and shares that empathy and concern. And it's not that men don't have empathy. They do. They just, they just have a different switch in the brain. Um, 
and I can just read it out to you. It's called the mirror neuron system, the temporal parietal junction system. Uh, it starts in the same part of the brain for both men and women, but very quickly men move into a much more transactional place of the brain. That's why men like to give solutions and make decisions and stuff like that. And then he's made decisions obviously about his son, right? And so has friends of mine. When I have said, I don't know how many times, go and have lunch with him. Reach out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me you. you know, like just, just go for lunch. Just do something, you know? Um, yes, yes, yes. I'll do it. I'll do it. And then nothing happens, you know? But I was willing to reach out. I'm so different from that, that I was willing to find David, who was the first person I could think of that I knew that lived in Austin, and uh, and ask David, you know. Did did you find out what was going on? So there's a chasm. It sounds, so as a male, I don't want to like, um, jump to conclusion, but you were telling your story, like, there's got to be something that's, that's causing this chasm. And to to put on a therapy hat, even though I'm not a therapist, there is something there. There is something, I guess the names are Steve and Adam. That, that, yeah. Why is it that Steve and Adam haven't talked to each other for a while? Now, you didn't need to solve that problem to, to reunite them. And that's kind of what, sadly, a therapist, a third party can do is to, to come in and say, hey, there's enough love to go around here. I don't even have to like intervene between two different groups. I just need to serve as a network node and re um, to take these atrophied muscles and get them moving again, a little therapy for the soul. And, and I think gender differences uh, might explain it, but it's also, maybe there's something wrong that, that needs a little bit more time, but, but let's, let's try to build on the momentum there. And if I can be a resource here in Austin, um, I've been here for a while, and I, what's kind of funny is my power just came back on uh, 50 minutes ago. <laughs> so, oh, um, so you had the same thing—you had a power outage. I had a longer power outage this time than two years ago when we were frozen for seven days. The problem is that there's more ice that's accumulated. Just the way it it precipitated—I'm an engineer—the way the ice uh, accumulated and dripped and made heavier icicles, basically, on all the trees. There's more down trees than. And we've already been thinned out from a storm two years ago. So I, 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 I actually was downstairs. I was trying to chip out uh, my car. And um, uh, a neighbor of mine who is Iranian-born, uh, she's come out to tell me how beautiful my kids are. She's, she's awesome. She's awesome. Uh, she doesn't speak very much English. She had, because we have hardwired um, fire detectors, that when you lose power, if the battery that's backing that up is dead, it will, she just didn't know what the hell was going on. And she had a life alert system and her, she called her son who lives kind of in the area, but he wasn't answering. So I, I, I guess this morning I was um, serving as a bridge and I'm about to go out and get a nine volt battery, even though the power's back on. And I know that, but she has a bedridden, um, sorry, Dr. Francine, older than you. Um, this is a, um, a neighbor but we don't have communities when there's not an ownership in each other. There's infrastructure, there's trees, there's things down. And, and we have to, to use, seize the day. The carpe diem is what I want to say. Seize the momentum with Steve and, and I'll, fuck, I'll go, I'll, I'll go join them for a beer together and be like, Hey, let's talk shit about Dr. Francine, whatever. whatever. <laughs> would make people do exactly what you did, which is laugh. If we could just do, that's what I did for five years. I stopped doing it. Driving Uber is, 
is I try to be real with people and get them. And that's, I think I might've said something about a, a, a 21 year old who had OD'd on, on too much fentanyl in her opium. I don't know what the hell, um, the heroin, but somebody who OD'd and asked me to be her sponsor for uh, heroin anonymous. And I was like, no, I got kids of my own, but I, I'm grateful, but here's what you need to do. Here's your prescription is go find community. Go, Reach out to people, but not the people that you do drugs with. A good community of people that you want to be like. You find these values that you admire. And, and it's all these self-help books, but boil them down and be real with people and realize that they, they grow at their, they change at their own pace. But we, when we stop calling and stop talking to each other or stop taking calls, I mean, some of this I would point back to, look at iPhone networks and it took three weeks before my dad said, Hey, I tried to leave you a voicemail and have you not set that up yet? I was like, Oh yeah. You're, I knew I was doing a social experiment to see who would ask me because nobody leaves voicemails anymore. I'm like only someone much older than me, no offense, but an entire generation, my dad, who thinks that people still use voicemail. It's just, the problem is that things are accelerating so fast that we're losing our communities because we're not able to keep in contact with all the people that we actually love but we don't ex at, at, at speak as a male at, at, that we don't have any, any, we don't make time for each other. We've outsourced it to candy crush and YouTube and all this instant gratification newsfeed of irrelevance that we've lost our own humanity. And I'll kind of stop the speech there. Well, yes, but see that provokes a speech from everybody because we all feel this way. I, I, I want to level it up one more level to society as a whole. You know, the, the, the reaching out, you know, if you don't even do it to your own members of your own family, and if you don't use empathy when you deal with your own family, and by the way, the definition of empathy is putting yourself in someone else's shoes to try to figure out what they must be feeling or at least give it a try. You can't always figure out what they're feeling. And sometimes, you know, you can be really wrong, but you at least ought to give it a try because there's, there's no way that we're going to get people healthy and connected again to communities if we don't like look at the other person and say well if i were him slash her i would be feeling this so i'll make this gesture and if it's the wrong gesture it's better than no gesture did, did you explore that with adam and steve did you ask them why it has taken so long because I think some of this is rooted in um, something that there may be an explanation for that, that they didn't want that's so private that they don't either share with you or not. Oh, I wasn't and, really and, trying to barge in. I was it, trying. It, well, that's my point is that, that here's the answer. It lies in there and maybe we don't have enough therapists that there's not enough or we'll call it solitude of being a male is that stoicism comes and rears its head at age 80 and says, if you don't feel well, well, then you don't want to be a bother because they're this, they're the children of the, the greatest generation. They don't want to be a burden to their kids. 
So right. there's uh, there there could be some deeper stuff here that has answers for you that doesn't that I, I want to just rather than dwell on that, pat you on the back and say thank you for being that bridge. And that's really what what the speech was about was to say, let's find community. How can we extend ourselves to see outside of our bubble? And I, I look at this as I was like, you know what, this is the second time there's been a storm. I'm gonna take my children to do some more food kitcheny stuff because I don't see that the I'm in the state of Texas and I don't see that the state is picking up the slack. So rather than bitch about it, I'm gonna try to say, here's how I can add to my community because it's I, the bystander and victim stuff is we're all going to be victims if we stand by too long. Well, that's right. And and see, the, then you run into another type of problem, which is the um, how do you avoid compassion burnout, you know, from all of the places where compassion could be you know, extended to somebody or necessary. There's a line, you know, um, Dr. Elizabeth, do you, are, are you a clinician? Do you t- treat patients? Actually, I'm Dr. Francine. Thank you for, um, uh, thank you for uh, calling me. I am not. I have two doctorates in the humanities, in law, and I have a doctorate in ministry. So, uh, my focus was on prayer, so <laughs> I'm coming at things from a different angle. But I will yield the mic back to you in case there's a clinician in the audience or on the stage. Thank you. No, not necessarily. I know Fong is a researcher, so I, I kind of was wanting to um, to hear whether compa- um, whether uh, physicians, you know deal with empathy and compassion burnout. Heyman, you had it when I met you, right? Yeah, no, no, it's it's a common thing. Um, so it's and also specifically if it's part of your job, it's it's hard, right, to basically make sure you have that delineation. But I think, I mean, this is not a, for me, I was just sitting back and just listening because I, this is not a, this is not a unique thing for me. It's like, it's a, it's a sort of during my, throughout my uh, work and fellowship and so forth, it's like, it, this is a common thing, right? Because I work with the geriatric, more geriatric rehab population. Um, so it's, and it's also a cultural thing. Um, and men, of course, have a, a bigger problem with this than uh, women do. Um, I think we discussed it yes, last week as well. And also there's a lot of um, things that are in the background, uh, like trauma or, uh, family experiences that we don't know about and that often come to light also during the times of discussions about, um, uh, you know, the uh, the decision makers, the uh, power attorneys, uh, the advanced care directives. Um, that's when I really see the, uh, uh, the, 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 the stuff that people have been stressing about between family members and everything else. Um, I think... The, the problem is also uh, we have to look back, sit back and um, think of it also from a cultural perspective. Like Barbara, uh, sorry, uh, Barbara and Francine, you would know more about and from your cultural perspective and also your habits. It's that you've been always a social person. So for you, this is unusual. Right. And as Barbara mentioned before, is that, you know, she knows many people 
who actually haven't communicated. And that's also quite common too. I remember uh, times when, you know, I'm South Asian and usually, you know, the older cultures, they have this habit of uh, not making appointments and just showing up, right? Even in hospitals, if a person is ill, even if they don't like them, it's just, it's a thing, right? It's a, you need to show up. You'll like big families will show up. They'll call them constantly, everything else. Uh, while you have more the um, the uh, waspy sort of, if you don't mind me saying so, like the cultures, like there it's more like, uh, oh, my son is coming, but uh, he'll come on Sunday, right? While I have down the hallway, I may have like maybe an Italian or uh, a really strong Italian family or so, uh, like sort of a South Asian family where the family's just living there pretty much in the room, right? It, L-O-L. Yeah, right? So it's, it's, it's a cultural thing too. So um, sometimes we have to also look at it from a cultural context. Sometimes you can't force it on them too. Uh, for this situation, uh, it's gl- I'm glad that you were able to connect to them, right? Because I think your friend uh, may not be used to it. And we don't know what the underlying circumstance as uh, D- uh, David was trying to dig into. But I, again, that's not the place right now. But uh, I think the urgency well, that you did uh, in terms of the urgency time was when important. When I was younger, I would have dug right in. Right. You know, I've learned not to. No, but it's it's good that you actually uh, you triggered it, right? Because it's also for your own selfish reasons. I, I was reading up on empathy before last week, and I didn't realize that empathy can be selfish. Barbara, is that true? Yeah, I mean, I have I have read that. I I, I think one thing to take it into a larger context, Heyman and Dr. Francine and everyone else, is that I think empathy is more needed more than ever, more than ever. Yeah. And I was talking to a client yesterday. I'm not sure I can tell you which client, but a very respected large company. Um, and she's the head of uh, talent, global talent. And she was saying, um, and her mother, and she's young, and her mother died in December. So it was like, oh, my God, you know, I just felt so, whew, you know, words are not enough in, in those moments, right? And and, and she, was, she was sharing with me that during the pandemic, everybody upped the ante on empathy, and now it's like, a, and it's a very male-dominated company or firm. And she, now it's like a switch has gone on and it's like, okay, let's go back to business as usual and get very transactional. And and then then I said, you know what, I'm going to dig in some research. So I'll just give you some research. This is a LinkedIn polling that's very recent. So only one in four employees believe that empathy is sufficient within their company. 93% of employees say that they would rather, they would leave uh, to go to another employer that has more empathy in the culture and and also for less money. And I actually have a client who took a job and took a $100,000 cut from the job he was about to accept because he had just had this high experience of an empathetic, inclusive culture, right? So that's pretty significant. And that's recent. This is like twenty end of 2022. So we've got... Um, this need, this desire to have that in our families. And I agree with you, Heyman, wholeheartedly around the culture differences. I mean, it's just extraordinary. I mean, I just remember when I was in Denmark where you're very independent, you know, and respectful and all that stuff. And I moved to Rome and I lived in Rome and I was living with a family and I went, oh my God, they're always arguing. They're rude to one another. You know, they're probing and asking questions and, you know, and then when I realized I was completely misinterpreting their intentions, they were like 
loving each other, passionate about each other, you know. And uh, but from from a Danish filter, you know, I had a whole other misinterpretation of that, right? So, um, but I think you know to really raise the bar of empathy, I think, and back to David too, and, and leaning in like that, we all need to do that. You know, I had a twenty-seven-year-old Chloe last night. Uh, a friend reached out to me. Oh, can you call her? She's she's having massive anxiety attack. And I said, yes, absolutely. I dropped everything and I talked to her. And she was like, at the end of it, she felt like there was light at the end of the tunnel. And she's been dealing with this since last October, you know, going to emergency, thinking she's dying, like all kinds of things. Oh, and now she's, you've like, done that. <laughs> yeah. And she, and she couldn't, she couldn't even get the therapist till next end of March. And I went, no, 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 let me do something. And, and she's now seeing someone amazing tomorrow. Right. Um, and, and other things, you know, that, that she could take action on. Right. Um, but, uh, that's what we need to do. We just need to, you know, not quit and stay in our life and quit our own comfort zone, but just really reach out. And, and of course I'm focused on the workplace. And I think that that's the new pair. That's the paradigm shift that's required, but I'm seeing, especially Silicon Valley going backwards. Like they want to go back to that alpha male culture, the bro culture. I mean, I, I just heard from one of the top, top people at Google saying Larry's back in and they want to go back to the old days, the way it was when everybody's working 24 seven and, you know, is, is totally committed, has no life. You know, Oh my God. You know, they got so, scared by the recession. They but, did. But, they did. But yeah. I will say this, Google is yeah. facing, you know, existential threats from GPT. But I'm yeah. also wondering, like, will people know empathy when they see it? Like, especially in the workplace. No, I think, I think, I don't think people know the distinct, distinction between empathy and sympathy and giving advice, you know? And also weakness. Um, like, I'm just wondering, like, yes. when a person, a coworker is quite empathetic and is helpful, I don't know how many times, uh, like, people take that as a weakness as I, opposed totally, to. Totally. Yeah. I see it. I see it with, you know, people who are empathetic or have more, you know, kind of feelings on their sleeves, they get misinterpreted as not having potential leadership. You know, I've seen that for 30 years, right? Happens to be more women than men, but also men, also men who don't explain that machismo kind of take charge behavior, right? And I see today that we need to let that go because men with machismo take charge behavior suffer greatly. My son went through that and completely transformed himself but it was hell for him i mean he used to say i'm a i'm 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 a recovering pardon my language he's a ceo of a big big company he said i'm a recovering asshole and i said don't, don't say don't say that like you don't want to say that that's just that then people are just expecting when your assholeness is going to show up right so just just say i'm committed to empathy you know that would be way better than that right and then let's learn together what that looks like for you you know and he's totally there now. But anyway, yeah. So I think this is a really, really important conversation. Bonita, is there anything you would like to add to that? Sorry to put you on the spot. And just before, uh, I just want to let Chris Berryman, who has his hand raised up, I cannot seem to bring you up on stage, but if you could just leave the room and come back in. Uh, we, oh, there you go. You're up. And also on the okay, call-in sure. side, if anyone wants to join the conversation, please join in. Uh, this is bi-directional, so everyone can join in. Thanks. And this is also experimental because these rooms in houses are still a beta test on Clubhouse's part. 
And I drag Joel in here because I think we all need to go into the future together, hand in hand, arm in arm, sort of like the civil the civil rights march. It, it is. It's a movement. It's a movement. It needs to be a movement, really. Right. To create that critical mass and really have a profound understanding, back to Heyman's question, a profound understanding of what what empathy means, right? And, well, the head of Goldman Sachs asked people to come back to work a year ago, and yes. and he still cannot get them to come back. Yep. And it's so interesting because he's got all these reasons why he thinks they need to be there. And he's got people, people are voting with their feet. Francine, isn't this not like your friend and the hospital and his son not showing up? Like the workers not showing up to the hospital? Just kidding. Yeah. yeah because it's, no, it's no. <laughs> and, it actually isn't at all. Yeah, I know. The, but what has happened is that, that the workers are, are smarter than the bosses yeah. in that they kind of know, you know, by now yeah. how they can work most effectively and how they want to. I mean, if somebody has five kids at home, they're going to go to the office, but yep. what they what they found is they can get a lot of people to come to the office Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, but they it's very hard to get people in on Monday and Friday. Benita, yep. Benita, and then Brady on Colin. Benita, please. Yes, well, what I would add, uh, I mean, I agree completely with what Barbara said. I, what I would add is just the recognition in terms of differences of men and women that men and women, women see and the world through connection you know, the mindset of how do I make connection and um, men much more so through the, the lens of status and where am I in the status um, measurements and uh, I think uh, so you know it'd be much more likely that a uh, Relate, what I call a relational person, because it could be a man, would see the importance of making that connection um, and uh, encourage it. However, I'd, I also think what's important that is not just connected to gender differences, but, you know, any kind of falling out in family can have repercussions in other areas. Uh, like the his son, the son... What's his relationship with his son? Does he have a son? And um, if there's an opportunity to mend what is broken between the two of them, it will pro- potentially have an impact on the relationship of his son and his son, if there is a son. Uh, yeah, well, I think so far his son is... As well. Yes, Benita, but his son hasn't yet gotten married. Okay. So that's, so that's a... That's an interesting thing right there. But I, I completely agree with you. You know, when my kids were little, I have two girls and they're 21 months apart. And when they were little, they used to chase each other around the kitchen with bread knives. And, the, and I, you know, I basically used to say to them, there's going to come a day when you'll need each other. And so this kind of this is how the only way I could figure out how to deal with it. So you've got to you've got to like figure out what's good about your sister, not only what's bad about her. And it took years and years, but they are so totally best friends now, which is what I planned for them at birth. 
took 50 years, but they got there. And, you know, now I feel a certain satisfaction that they'll have each other, they'll always have each other. But boy, was that hard. When you have a falling out with a family member or two family members fall out with each other, it is the worst kind of falling out. Well, and that's why it's the best place to really make a, amends in some way. And, um, and, it, and that the relationships are carried out throughout your life. So I just wanted to make that point from it. Um, and, and we've seen, Bonita, we've both been with Est and Landmark, uh, you know, with Warren Earhart and all of that for years, right? I used to be a seminar leader there. And we've seen so many people during the break where we encouraged them to go and call a family member that they haven't spoken to, come back with inspiring tears mm. saying, oh, my God, I wasted 20 years or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yes, because they miscommunicated. Brady from Collins. Brady, you can unmute. Thanks. Brady on the Collins side? He's uh, he actually muted himself. So, Brady, oh, we'll come back to you then. It's also okay. one more thing is the vulnerability, right? How many of us are willing to be vulnerable? Uh, and you know, uh, when we discuss, I think men tend to not be as vulnerable, or they put on a brave face. You know, I I, I can't figure out sometimes if I'm a man or a woman, but. I have um, great problem-solving uh, tendencies and abilities. And you're I've a Jewish mother, Dr. Francine. There's a difference. Is that a different gender? No, a Jewish mother. I, it's it's the stereotype of culture. So you you expect some pragmatism, and I think that that's that's um, not always present. Um, and anyway, so I, the there's a generational difference too. There's so much, so many people that are living in the doom loop where they just don't have the time to reflect or the time to, to, to build these relationships that are deep anymore. So they are basically clinging on to old relationships. They might have some toxic elements, or maybe they got off social media when they saw crazy political rhetoric and they just don't know what's going on with each other. So they feel abandoned by, uh, circumstances. So maybe they, it, the, the investment isn't, isn't much of a choice. They didn't choose to be estranged hu husband or, or dad and son, but it just worked out that way. And it's not, I was going to say, I, when I was a financial advisor, it's not until there's a financial event that someone wants to do financial planning, right? They don't, they wait till they have kids till they take these things seriously. They wait, you know, it's an end of life decision that people then need a will, right? They're, oh shit, you're supposed to do that stuff before because this is how it works when you don't have a will. But it, it's the encounter with these fragile moments is something that if we could have a shared empathy, the empathy is useful in a communal sense when we can share experiences and learn these lessons. But I think that there's so much DIY culture out there for men and that status. Doing it. There's a, yes. a feeling of failure if you don't have it all figured out. So you don't then kind of curl up into a shell and say, um, I just will like, it's like procrastinating by not making any decision. Mm -hmm. So some of these relationships will atrophy. They're just like that too. If you don't put time 
men need to be told this. Women don't. <laughs> this is the sad thing is that if you don't put time in and make the phone call, then you're going to have a whole lot of men who's, especially once you start having kids who don't have time to know all of the intricacies, but it, it, it's so easy to pick up the phone that once you do it, there's all this gratification. When I took a 4th of July weekend last summer, I, I Dr. Francine, I think you probably heard the story, but I went and took my twins and we got together with a college friend of mine and it was just great because he had kids that were a little older and it was his parents' lake house in Lake Conroe, north of Houston. And it was just great to catch up and we didn't need to know all the details of in between because we already had that trust that was there. And that that's why I think trust and empathy in my last comments that, that if we could get, get these, if we could give handshakes back, if we could, okay, next I, week I don't is want to trust. And speaking of calling together, people, uh, Brady's back on call in as well. Brady. Okay, Brady. Okay. Brady. I think there you go. It's back. Okay, there you go. You're on. Brady. You've got to unmute your mic. Next caller, then. We'll be back. Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Andrea. Oh, there you go. Brady's here. There you go. Brady? <laughs> you unmuted. Oh, you taking, taking the dog out. Um, the, yeah, I forgot my second point, but the main point I wanted to mention. Uh, Brady, your uh, <laughs> your connection is actually breaking out. It's a out. form of higher cognition. Stay there. Sorry, I have a Wait. black room. I have a black room. How do I sound now? Perfect. Stay there. <laughs> Mic check. There we go. There you go. Okay. Oh, yeah, I forgot what you were talking about a second ago. My dog had to go out, but I was going to mention that empathy is an indicator of higher cognition. And mental theory or theory of mind is someone's ability to um, imagine what someone else is thinking or feeling, right? And uh, one of the main things that interferes with that is alcoholism, actually. And alcohol will, uh, in, uh, how do you say, cause a deficit in someone's theory of mind. And I think uh, another thing to mention is that testosterone that's what was my other point is uh, testosterone will actually kind of fog up the prefrontal cortex a little bit. And so that's why women are naturally a little better at empathy because uh, their prefrontal cortex is less worried about reproducing all the time. I think maybe, I don't know. It's just a theory. Of mine. <laughs> but you know, the male brain is a little foggy. So we have a hard time with those kind of, Relatable, relatable kind of issues, but we have an expert though. I mean, Barbara, what are your thoughts on that? Yep, you're absolutely spot on. Um, the prefrontal cortex is more connected in women, and, and the prefrontal cortex developed later in men, around age of twenty-five, and earlier in women. But it also is, remains larger in women, more connected. So that's that. And you're right, also right about testosterone. It actually creates an emotional distancing. Uh, especially if it's very high level of testosterone. And men can have up to 200 times more testosterone depending on their lifestyle and what they do. So there's a lot of that to it too. But the alcoholism, I, I, and was it Chris? What was your name again? Sorry. Brady. 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 Yeah. Brady. The alcoholism really is important that you bring that up because that is 
so true and so consistent in research that it creates this. And alcoholism could be just drinking daily. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be binge drinking per se, but it does create an emotional disconnect. And I lived that, you know, in my childhood because my mother was an alcoholic and it was amazing how I could just see the jackal and hide in changing her, right? Um, so I, yeah. I'm glad you brought my that up too. My mom was bipolar. So Barbara, can you comment about depression perhaps? Depression? Yeah. The, yeah, the, well, 40% the, the, of women have more depression than men, 40, 4 0, 40%. And it's really, and part of it is that women tend to ruminate more, uh, which is kind of that worry center of the brain where we're constantly over worrying about things. And uh, there's actually a great book, if anybody's interested, called Warrior versus Worrier. And it's in, it's in my documentary that's coming out, um, which is called The Missing Piece. And it's about putting gender lens in things that we uh, really need to understand and remove our blind spots around it, right? So, um, Okay, yeah. I am, we're reaching the point where I have to see whether people on the stage would like to speak before the end of the room. So Chris, you've been on stage for a while. Sorry. And Andrew as well. well I would love to hear from Andrew. <laughs> been so good and been here for so long. Oh, sorry, Andrea. <laughs> I thought you on. Never mind. I thought you on mic and spoke, but I guess you didn't. So, Andrea, say no. Something. Let me let me pass to Chris because everybody's heard a lot of people here have heard me before. I, I'm not sure I've heard Chris speak before, so I, I'll pass to him. Well, good afternoon, everyone. How's everyone doing today on terrific Thursday? So, All righty. Uh, good. Thank you. All right. Very good. Very good. This is my take on this great and engaging conversation about putting empathy and compassion to work. Maybe it's about this, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe it's a getting to a point that we can get a conversation or even an opportunity that we can actually have conversations that are rooted in curiosity and getting to a point to where we can see what they see and they can see what we see. So we can all see what we should all see. Now, granted, we're not going to see eye to eye on every single thing. That's going to be out there in and of itself from a natural and innate kind of standpoint. Because think about this. To embrace others for their differences for that which makes you whole. We can embrace not only each other's differences, but we can embrace each other's similarities. The things that are, are literally innate to us. Such a degree is almost like I call them like the universal truths of humanity. We all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. We all want to be loved. We all want to be appreciated. We all want to be belonging to something that's even that we can even turn into not only that that something that we love, but we can turn it into the life that we love. And maybe it's about not doing this in a way that maybe, you know what? I have all the answers and you don't. Oh, I'm the expert and you're not. Maybe it's about doing it from a place of connection that will lead into collaboration and lead into a greater community in and of itself. Because maybe by doing it together, maybe what you know can add value to me, what I don't know. And maybe what I know may add value to you for something that maybe you don't know. And think about it. If we were the experts on every single thing in life, 
ladies and gentlemen, we wouldn't even be having this conversation in and of itself. Because think about it. We are wanting to con- continuously evolve ourselves to such an extent through the knowledge that we gain and through the value that we bestow onto others and others bestow upon us, even with their own knowledge, that we create a, re- a, a repeating effect and re- uh, almost like almost like a, a legacy effect when you think about it, that where we pass on what we have learned to others, whether it be in our workplaces, whether it be in our communities, and everything like that. But see, when you add value to people, that is priceless in and of itself. And I truly believe, ladies and gentlemen, that the next currency of humanity is going to be rooted in that very value, not money. Because money can come and go because think about it. It's only a, a form of energy and tool that we use to get the things that we want to have in our lives. Exactly. A form act- of it. I, I have to cut you off because we only have three minutes and I've got three more speakers. But thank you for that. You're saying this, I think, something I really care about. Hmm. Well, it's a shame that we lost uh, Chris. <laughs> he, I don't know if he dropped off or, uh, but, yeah. um, I, I, first of all, thank you so much for hosting. I think this is one of the most important topics. Uh, well, empathy and compassion, uh, and I would say collaboration are some of the most important topics, I think, of our time um, as we're going through this big reset, um, wanted or not, uh, you know, recovering from COVID, uh, you know, greater awareness on differences and, um, you know, uh, the George Floyd incident that reverberated around the world and climate change. And so this need to kind of reorient ourselves uh, both with ourselves in relationship to ourselves, but also to others. Uh, and as we work to tackle, you know, the challenges across political divides in the United States and, and other places, and also looking at how to tackle climate change. I mean, I see this conversation about empathy playing out in the, Barbara at the geopolitical level in relationship between countries and, you know, with more resources, uh, with a colonial, um, past, um, and, and, and other nations, uh, also between leaders and constituents and, uh, just a fundamental, um, core of if we are going, you know, co- some competition may be healthy, but if we're going to kind of, you know, get over, uh, and through and on to the, you know, uh, uh, maybe a more mm, balanced, uh, state of being again. And I, I think these conversations, are absolutely uh, critical. I think literally I feel Brene Brown is someone I would recommend in terms of talks about vulnerability. I'm sure everybody knows her, um, like her or not her style. Um, I do think she has some uh, pearls of wisdom uh, and is uh, kind of, I like, she's kind of fun in the way she puts it out there. And finally, I would just say that um I would, you know, you can tune in. The Dalai Lama is, you know, always calling for compassion. Uh, and so it just plays out on so many levels. And I think that, you know, links to trust. Um, and uh, just everyday actions, talking about local action in your community. And like COVID recovery, there were mutual aid societies that got together, which is just sometimes, you know, whether it's with your own family or your friends, you know, try to look out you know, maybe find someone outside that immediate, what, what, I don't know, whatever works. I try to extend outside one level of my immediate circle family to 
practice that, uh, you know, whether it's a homeless guy on the street or somewhere, you know, so just get to know someone else in my local community and, and just be aware of others and what they might need. And then finally, burnout, payment, totally nonprofit workers, mission driven people uh, that focus get this all the time. People that have large numbers of employees under them. I'm landing my plane, Francine. Um, and, I, and, and I'm I just, about to shoot your plane down. <laughs> and, and the final sentence is that I, you know, uh, well, you made me forget it. So I guess that's fine. <laughs> oh, Andrea, I love you so much. Denise. Hi. Hi. I hate I just came in at the end of this conversation, but I did want to offer something up really quickly. Please. Let's be, let's be careful not to put too much weight on empathy. Not ask it to do too much. Right? You don't have to understand everything to be empathetic. You don't have to agree with someone to be empathetic. And I think sometimes we put a lot of um, additional responsibilities on the concept and that ends up um, just making it heavier than it needs to be. So people don't do it right. Like um, um, I think about this very specifically with trans issues. When I talk to people and they're like, I just don't get it. I mean, I don't, I just don't understand it. And I always remind them, you don't have to. It's not your walk. It's not your situation. It's not how you were raised. It's not your religious belief. Okay. But you, understanding is not required for you to treat another human being with decency and respect. You don't have to have a daughter to understand that it's rude to catcall women walking down the street. We, we hear that a lot. Like, we, you know, I mean, don't they have wives? Don't they have daughters? You don't need a daughter to understand when you people are being disrespectful, right? If you understand boundaries you have for your body, I just had a client with this issue of a, a, a guy walked up and rubbed her pregnant belly because he thought it was good luck. And it's funny. I think rubbing a bald man's head is Oh, good. yeah, they used to do that all the time. All the time. I, I feel like rubbing a bald man's head is, is good luck. But I bet you don't do that to your boss because you have boundaries when you need to because you understand the concept of boundaries. The challenge is we have to extend them to everyone, that respect to everyone. So empathy is important. But sometimes as I hear people talk about empathy, it feels like they're talking about 20 things that are beyond empathy um and just let's not ever over um just just overemphasize put weight on it that it can bear you don't have to understand to be empathetic oh, okay so next week what i want to do is trust and and collaboration andre left but i'll i'll catch her in the back channel somewhere because I, the next thing that we have to do is figure out how we're going to work together. So, Elle, you want to bring us home? Um, hi, Dr. Francine. Uh, great room today. Um, yeah, I was just listening to all this, thinking about, you know, the conversation about differences between um, males and females. And I, I've always believed that there's that we're kind of hardwired for this because when I think about women being collaborative, which is kind of what the the 
the bridge to where you want to go next week. Um, you know, I think back to sort of the caveman stereotype and you think about it and men were out there, you know, getting out there competitively trying to bring back the kill. But what were women doing? Women were around the fire, helping each other make food, helping each other with each other's children. This is something women have been doing forever. And if you ever see, you know, a new mom with their kid, with a play group with other moms and kids, they're feeding other people's kids. They're looking out after other people's kids. There's just this natural cooperation and collaboration. And so I think it makes sense that that's what we bring into our relationships and that that's a strength of it. So just wanted to share that, that um, in my work with women, that's one of the things that I have really noticed is that women are so good at collaboration and so open to it. And on the flip side of it, women also have a hard time saying no because of that. So it's kind of one of those, you know, good news, bad news. You have to be able yeah. to really moderate that. We have to learn how to moderate that in ourselves. So that's my two cents worth. I know you're closing the room for the day. I, I just wanna that's right. I just want to say. I just wanted to add it in something and quickly. Sorry. No, I just wanted to ask, what do we do with our pink tickets? Oh, <laughs> your pink ticket puts you on the waiting the waiting list for the house and you can join the waiting list and I'm go I'll let you in Benita. just yeah. and for the all house. the other platforms listening this is a clubhouse thing it's uh, not a call in or yeah. twitter space this is a clubhouse thing and it's a new clubhouse thing and it means that you're a guest in the house and you can join the house if if you found your way here and you find it of interest to you um, I'm going to keep it somewhat uh, limited, but you're you're under the obviously under the wire, Benita, because you've been here so many weeks, and you're a wonderful part of every discussion. So what I I want to so say I don't do anything. I just wait to be entered in, right? Um, that, that is a good question. I wish I wish I totally knew the answer. Okay. I will fi right. find it out when I close the room. And also, okay. Francine might be on video soon too, so we're, we'll keep you posted on that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this is really expanding into a media empire, and and this is just what I want. Talking about collaboration, <laughs> right? Men and women can yeah. collaborate. You know what? Across I, ages. Payment, Heyman, I love you, too. All right. People who show up, I love all of you. I'm, I love this part of my week because I, I get to learn from everybody who is willing to offer up their wisdom to me. And that makes me feel so fantastic. So thank you very much. And if I can find where you end the room in a house, I will, um, I will end it. Anybody, anybody, know? ah, there it is, it's in the same place. Okay, welcome to the Karma House. We made it, we did it, we switched. We love you, Dr. Francine. Love you all. Like and thanks again for joining us from Colin as well. And uh, this show will be, uh, published shortly and brady i just shared your information on the other site as well total honor um i wasn't familiar with your guest until today but really cool show and well, i just wanted no, no. to add yeah uh, uh, sorry go ahead go ahead 
Uh, just going to add at the very end a little bit of a silver lining that while alcohol destroys your glutamate receptors in your brain, um, even sub-psychedelic doses of psychedelics can fully restore glutamate receptors back to normal levels. Yeah, and also there's a gene apparently that actually been found for empathy uh, and alcoholism. Well, that's an interesting study that came out after you mentioned it. Um, there was actually something there. And by the way, yeah, so the reason I multicast is so that people who were blocked or even people who weren't on Clubhouse and other platforms and I had friends from around the world who couldn't join in. So I basically multicast bi-directionally using hardware so that uh, people can actually join from no matter what, uh, wherever the region is, depending on the blocks or firewalls they have in their countries. Uh, for instance, um, there was a MetaWatch show thing I did where even Chinese people joined in <laughs> across their firewall using other means because they couldn't get on Clubhouse, but they got in through other ways uh, and Twitter spaces as well. So. I'm going to end this room shortly. Take care all.